0: because we're reaching, we're reaching, I think, a ceiling effect with what we can do with traditional methods. And I think people want to understand how we non-consciously respond to certain stimuli and how we um, behave. And, and as you said, for example, for AI, that's one of the biggest topics to have this neuroscientific data. So um, I think... We're just realizing now that this is not just like a trend, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a science um, that has to be taken seriously um, outside, of course, of, of of the academic world. And that it's not just like a simple tool that has to be applied, but we have to apply it with, with care. And, um, yeah, we have to have the right methodologies in order to make the right conclusions. Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customized explorative research on key consumer markets, customers, and population segments. Square Holes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behaviour change. Visit SquareHoles.com for more.
1: Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone and welcome to Real People where we interview average and not-so-average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Our unconscious decision-making and what stimulates our brain in a positive or negative way can conflict with what we think we are thinking ex-Olympian, neuroscientist and researcher based in Copenhagen, Dr Alvira Fisher joins us today. Alvira works with iMotions as a neuroscientist and product specialist to support clients like Harvard, Stanford, Unilever and BMW in their endeavour to utilise insights into human behaviour and emotional responses iMotion, initially founded on eye tracking for retail and other clients, has since advanced their technology into facial expression analysis, video analysis, and measuring arousal. We discuss a wide range of topics around monitoring the brain, from measuring arousal for products, advertising, and other stimuli, to tracking of motivations, cognitive workload, and engagement. Let's not waste a moment. On with the show.
0: Hit it! what i'm talking about wait okay now
1: from the beginning thank you very much for joining me today Elvira. that's that's very exciting i've just seen your talk so i can't wait to have a bit more of an informal discussion so i'm (laughs) going to start the discussion off like i do with all of these discussions what were you like as a young girl
0: Oh, um, I think I was quite um, extroverted. Um, I started sports quite early, um, so I guess I was um, <laughs> motivated as well. Um, I started. Oh, when swim- you say
1: extroverted, what does that mean?
0: Um, I liked yeah. always talking to people. I liked um, h- human contact. Um, yeah, um, I liked talking. <laughs> yeah. um, and then uh, I also liked moving around, so I-, I started sports quite early. When I was seven years old, I started swimming. Um, yeah, and that basically then was my occupation till my mid twenties. Yeah, and, yeah. and you,
1: you you came to the Sydney Olympics, you were saying in swimming. So well. yeah,
0: exactly. I was at uh, ninety six. I was in Atlanta, and yeah. then four years later, I also participated in the yeah. two thousand Olympics. Yeah.
1: So you were an extroverted, sporty child. Is that right?
0: <laughs> yes. Did, did
1: you did you go uh, well at school? Were you academic? Were you?
0: I was, I was average in school, uh, which had partially to do because I was training so much and quite tired yeah. uh, uh, during during the school day. But, um, yeah, I enjoyed going to school. Um, I went to normal school, so I had to get up at 4 <laughs> o'clock in the morning to go to morning practice, then go to school, and then in the afternoon practice again. Um, but, um, yeah, um, I wasn't, yeah, average, average yeah. in terms where,
1: of grades. Where did you grow
0: up? I grew up in uh, Vienna, Austria. Yeah?
1: What's Vienna like?
0: Paint a picture of Vienna, in or Vienna, Vienna
1: as, a, as a young girl what was
0: Yeah, um, it's a very beautiful city. It's, it's. Um, I think, um, yeah, we have around two million uh, um, in, in terms of population. Um, a lot of nice architecture, classicistic architecture. A lot of culture. A lot of culture, musical events. Um, but I liked living in the city. I liked, um, yeah, the urban feel. I, I felt very free. Yeah. Um, it also gave me the opportunity to do sports because we had all the opportunities. I could could go to practice by myself, yeah. basically. Um, yeah, I, I really and I'm, I'm still I still enjoy Vienna very much. I like going back, yeah. seeing my parents. Did,
1: did you go to uni, yeah.
0: university? Yes, yeah, but not um, not in Vienna. I actually had a scholarship at UCLA. This is where I did my undergrad.
1: And was that after you? You said you finished, like you you, you know, did finish sport, but you are uh, you. your focus turned moved away from sport uh, about 25 did you say
0: or Um, it was in between so um, I got my scholarship based on my athletic um, career Um, so I got a full ride um, from UCLA um, based on swimming so I was part of the UCLA swim team um, and I did my bachelor degree there in psychobiology Um, yeah and then once I was done with my bachelor I actually also stopped my career as a swimmer
1: okay So what did you study?
0: Um, so, yeah, my, my, my major at UCLA was psychobiology, um, and then I went on, I went to Germany, and I did a master's in uh, neuroscience okay. uh, as well as a PhD in cognitive and behavioral neurosciences. Yeah,
1: was, and was that something you <coughs> had thought about as a child? or where, how, where does that come from?
0: That's a good question. No, as a child, I wanted to be a medical doctor. <laughs> um, was, that was a wish that I had for a long time. But once I started studying, I realized I um, don't necessarily want to work so much um, on curing people, but I rather want to understand how the brain works. Um, so when I studied psychobiology at UCD, I, I had a couple of neuroscience lectures, um, also some psychology, biology, and for me that was like the perfect marriage um, of psychology and biology. like. Um, tackling the brain and understanding the brain from a neuroscience perspective whether this is cellular or in a cortical level yeah. um yeah and so that's how i yeah moved into neuroscience
1: what, what what aspects of the brain particularly fascinated you back at university
0: yeah um more like the basic functions to be honest so i was interested in how we process uh, certain sensory stimuli especially that the visual system um i think it's very underrated usually when we talk about the we talk about very complex um, concepts. Usually we talk about concepts such as empathy or or emotions. But but I was, um, in the beginning when I started, I was really interested in how do we process um, visual motion, for example, and how do we use our eye movements to understand whether um, our environment is moving or we are moving ourselves. Um, And yeah, that's that's why I went into uh, cognitive neuroscience. Um, I did a lot of fMRI um and psychophysics um, in order to yeah investigate visual motion processing basically okay
1: so what are the, tre- the major trends or the things that have happened in your life to get to where you are now what obviously neuroscience has it changed is it i guess there must be some things that have mm. remained the same and other mm. other areas that have changed or best understanding from research mm. What?
0: So I continued um, my academic career after my PhD, so I was a postdoc for a couple of years, um, and I really enjoyed the academic life, but one of the aspects that is true probably for most sciences or natural sciences is that in in academia you work quite isolated um, and you work on very specific topics. And what I was missing a little bit was the application of, of my research and, and how to apply all that knowledge. So um, at some point then I decided to leave academia and actually find uh, a more corporate job where I could integrate or where I could use my knowledge. Um, and that was iMotions. It's one of the few companies that actually integrates active neuroscience research with um, the with the. Yeah, state of the art technology, but also um, the software that they produce. So um, it was the perfect job for me because it's quite difficult for a cognitive neuroscientist to find to yeah, find a corporate it job. Um, it's not like in pharma when you come from like biology or or, or yeah, our chemistry. So
1: how do I apply this science? Yeah. To it? yeah.
0: So, so I was interested in, in how can I use my knowledge about the brain and how the brain works and how we process certain stimuli um, yeah, in a more applicable sense. Basically. How
1: long have you been at iMotion?
0: Two years. Two years, okay, yeah. that's great. Yeah.
1: Can you tell me a bit more about iMotion and where like, what they're doing and mm-hmm. the, some of the... the uh, oh, wow, groundbreaking work that they're, they're on?
0: Yeah, definitely. So, iMotions is um, a Danish company um, that was founded more than 10 years ago. Um, it started out as an, as an eye-tracking company. Uh, it's a software company um, and to analyze eye movements. But um, around 2008, 2009, um, iMotions realized that eye-tracking alone is not enough and they wanted to combine eye-tracking with other neuroscientific methodologies. Um, and so iMotion's partners up with state of the art hardware producers, um, so we are hardware agnostic. We partner up with anyone who uh, fulfills our scientific standards and who we think would be a good partner to be. And, um, and then we provide the software basically to combine all these different data streams. So we integrate different eye trackers, we integrate different GSRs so or galvanic skin response um, devices where we can measure arousal levels. Um, we integrate a facial expression algorithm by Aftex, uh, Effectiva. Um, also we integrate um, different EEG headsets. And, and, and the synchronization of all these different data streams allows us actually to triangulate the data in a very precise manner and to understand human behavior um, yeah, in a more holistic, in a more well-rounded form. And and this is applicable not only in academia, but of course also for market research or for other commercial aspects.
1: Yeah, that's excellent. And I'm assuming your business has, or iMotion has, uh, has the client side? And I'm assuming you, you, have, you mm-hmm. have your own research and development you're mm-hmm. always doing, are you? So on the client side, what... What are the types of clients that come to you to ask, ask for work? What, do, they have, do they come to you with a problem or do they come to you looking for your methodology?
0: Mm-hmm. Both. So we have a lot of academic clients um, ranging from, from um, Ivy League universities up to research institutes uh, locally. Um, usually the departments there that, that contact us are psychology, sociology, um, behavioral economics, engineering, um, media science, um, human computer interaction and so forth. And what they're interested in is basically they come to us because they, they're actually experienced the pain point of synchronizing all those different data streams, um, and since we are the only software who does that, they're actually um, yeah on the lookout for someone who can actually synchronize all these different data streams. So they come f- for us more for in, for the methodology part, I would say. I mean, they're interested in collecting all these different data, and then of course doing the research. Um on the commercial side we work with a lot of different um yeah enterprises and companies starting from P&G BMW um uh, GSK and so forth um also media science um or Ipsos um and here we have more, um, yeah, more, more applicable questions. So uh, either those companies want to th- uh, solve a problem. So for example, they want to do some product testing or they want to do some media testing. Um, they either come for us for a service or they come for us to actually establish that kind of knowledge within their own enterprises um, to have the in, in, in-house knowledge, basically. So for example, NBC, which is one of our clients, has um, a, a, a very large lab Um, in Orlando, um, and they're just bringing people from the streets um, who want to participate and test various, for example, trailers or, or, um, yeah, different kind of medias. And um, yeah, so it's 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 a very flexible platform, it's a very flexible software um, that can be applied in all kinds of different areas. Um, But of course, um, what they all have in common is that they try to understand why humans behave the way they do. And can we actually capture, like, a moment of truth at a certain time point, how does a a human feel or behave? Yeah,
1: if it comes down to that unconscious behaviour that, obviously, market research Mm -hmm. can cover, the conscious behaviour that people can... the stated behaviour, this is is how I behave, but the reality Mm -hmm. is how people behave versus what they actually do is is quite different. So you must have a lot of... It's that unconscious behaviour that you can only measure in the brain. And,
0: yeah, yeah, of course, because um, only non-conscious processes are processes that you can't influence or that you can't um, yeah, navigate. And and so we want to know, because sometimes think about like when you're when you're browsing on a website, you, and, and I, I will ask you later in a, in a, in a think aloud, why mm. did you do what you did? You have to actually memorize what you did and then rationalize what you did. Mm. And this is already like a very complex step in between. But what what actually is interesting is is the is the behavior that we can't that we can't remember we might not be able to to even articulate why we did what we did, and yeah to understand um yeah the non conscious part of, of human behavior definitely
1: yeah, yeah. what well, what are some of the, looking at all the data that you've got what what are some of the patterns you see that. Are interesting. interesting trend, or probably not trends you're seeing, but just the way in which the brain works mm. that, that is really fascinating. Mm.
0: I think that what comes up more and more is that, you know, there are certain conscious aspects, as we just talked about, and people are very much aware of it, but you will always have... Um, I mean, you can't really trick the brain, and what is really interesting to see in all those tests is um, the underlying non-conscious behavior, so where do people glance at or where do people actually remain uh, a little bit longer with, uh, with their gaze, for example. And, and arousal, for example, is a very uh, stable measure um, that can be evoked over and over again, even if you anticipate it. So a respondent will tell you, no, like, I wasn't scared because I knew this and this was coming up, for example, in a horror movie. But what we can actually see in the signal is that they, they were stressed. And, and so I, I think that's, that, that's really interesting. And it has nothing to do that the respondent, you know, wants to trick you, wants to lie. They are just not conscious about that. Mm. And, 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 and just tapping into that is, is super interesting. It's
1: like a highly advanced lie detector, isn't it, really? <laughs>
0: well, I wouldn't call it lie detector because it still, you know, it still, um, uh, uh, relies on the interpretation of, of a human. But it, it's just interesting to see um, yeah, how, how we sometimes behave and, 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 and what we pay attention to that we don't even know that we're paying attention to. Yeah.
1: So if we bring it into an advertising context, what are the aspects of advertising that you would mm. say get people's attention?
0: Yeah. So definitely, I mean, there are different aspects. On, on one hand, you have, of course, saliency. Um, which people often um, underestimate. So it could either be like physical saliency, so for certain colors are more salient than others, certain shapes or segmentation by color, but also concepts, right? And and we know um, that, for example, if you have um, a pop out effect, or if you have something that's really salient, even though it's disturbing, um, it leaves uh, and it arouses you or stresses you. It has an effect. The recall of those commercials will be naturally higher, even though you give them, you know, like a negative uh, valence or or y- y- you yeah you charge them in, in a certain way. Um, they will be recalled m- much better. So I think that's that, that's actually quite interesting in terms of advertisement. What I think. Um, will come more and more is actually not testing already um, already finished commercials or comparing between two commercials but maybe going more into the pilot stage of commercials testing storyboards testing how a certain actor fits a certain character um, so profiling or maybe um, um, yeah um, auditions, for example, for a certain... Um, how does this character work on screen? Is, is, that, is that, you know, is that something that consumers re- can relate to? Do they relate to that positively, negatively? And so testing more the, the stages before the production, so pre-production testing, I think, um, is something that could be highly interesting, and I think this, this yeah. is something uh, of a trend that will hopefully come soon.
1: Yeah, okay. Have you got a sense of the type of people... That people are more more positively aroused by, if, they, if on an ad is it is it That's is very it young difficult. old is it male female is it like it's a.
0: It's difficult to say. It's, it's also it's it? also culturally really depending. Does uh, it's it? Really depend- yeah, yeah. I, Can you
1: explain that a bit more?
0: Yeah. So, for example, in Denmark, we have um, a slightly different culture than, for example, than in the US or or in Australia. So, um, there is a general understanding that no one that we're all the same. Um, and, and, and that we of course all have the same rights but we are all the same so like those indi- individualistic characters are naturally not perceived as something positive by the society but you want to fit in um, whereas I think in, in the United States or Australia it, they lean maybe t- more towards a more in, indiv- individualistic portrayal of a character um, they like that someone is popping out or standing out of the crowd um, yeah, okay. that someone has individual traits um, so, you also have to kind of like adjust that to your market and to your target group. You, you want a commercial that, that fits to your, to, to your target group and to the market, and if the market is Scandinavian, um, portraying certain um, subcultures might not work as well as it would, for example, okay. in the US or in Australia.
1: What about when you apply to new product development? Mm-hmm. Is, how, how does that work? How do, yeah. How would you apply your work to new product development?
0: So we work a lot with sensory testing, so either fragrance or um, also um, tasting. Um, so what we would do then is um, apply certain sensors, sh- such as EEG or maybe facial expression analysis, and then, um, yeah, try different fragrances, um, test also the association, what do respondents associate this, this, this fragrance with, how do they react um, when they try to remember a certain fragrance, Um, Or when they taste, for example, taste studies, we try to see, for example, what does a different taste, for example, what kind of responses do they evoke? Do they evoke approach or avoidance? um, And how do people then, of course, also rationalize their responses? They might say that they liked something, but you can actually see from the cognitive signals or the physiological readout that that wasn't necessarily the case. Yeah, Yeah.
1: okay, Yeah, so you'll bring out different product options and different alternatives and see what the responses are to Yeah, those. exactly.
0: So you would try either different components of a certain product, so different smell, different texture, yeah. um, so different prototypes, um, or, of course, compare how that compares to the current product, for example, if you want to try different variations, for example. yeah.
1: Yeah, that's great. So... If we break up a, a few of the areas you work in, so eye-tracking, So, what, mm-hmm. tell, tell us about some of the advances in eye-tracking or mm. how eye-tracking has being used. Obviously, in a retail setting, I assume, mm. eye-tracking is predominantly used, but any other uh, ideas about how eye-tracking is being used more uh, currently and, mm. and moving forward?
0: So eye-tracking is by far, I think, the most established methodology. Um, and Also, as I, as I mentioned in, in the keynote lecture, um, not only do we now have remote eye trackers where you have to sit in front of the screen, but we also have head-mounted eye trackers. And it, of course, opens up um, to testing a, a lot more different options. So uh, Shopper inside Studies, for example, within a store. And there you can, of course, test a lot of different aspects. You can test the layout of a store. You can test how a product performs on the shelf, how a product performs um, compared to the, its competitors' Um you can uh, under, try to understand um, how easy can you understand what the product is about, can you extract information about the nutrition, um, and so forth. And you can do that by understanding where a respondent looks at and how long they're looking at. So we're looking at different eye movements. Um, one of the major eye movements is fixation, so when you remain on a certain on a certain point or when you remain in a certain area, where um, saccades are fast, rapid eye movements, ballistic eye movements between fixations. Um, and there are different studies that show, for example, that increased number of saccades is, uh, for example, correlated with distress or also uh, correlated with certain pathologies. So we want to see, do people, first of all, read um, certain aspects, do they remain in a certain area, but also are they you know, actually paying attention or are they just saccading around and not actually... Um, um, yeah, um, participating
1: yeah. You know, in okay. the past. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's excellent. And facial expression measurement. That ha- yeah. like, can you tell me a bit more about what that means and how you use it in a, a research setting?
0: Yeah, definitely. So um, as facial expression analysis has been around since the 70s. Um, this is a system that was defined by Ekman and Friesen in the 70s um, with correlating different muscle movements um, with different uh, facial expressions and emotions. And previously, uh, that had to be done manually by uh, manual fax coders, basically. Now we have algorithms that do that for you, basically. Um, So you have a video feed, and then you have a classifier, an algorithm that has been trained on a lot of faces. So the one that we use uh, by Affectiva is trained on seven million face recordings. And um, and then the classifier finds the face within the video feed, sets landmarks to understand, like, how your muscles are moving, and then that movement of the landmarks is classified to understand, for example, if you're pulling your eyebrows together, um, which is called brow lower or brow furrow in, in affectiva, um, uh, is implicated in concentration, frustration, confusion and if we can use that for example in usability testing to understand does someone understand a certain feature on the website, does someone understand um, um, yeah the filters on the left side on the website um, how do they navigate and what kind of um, yeah, emotions do they express but of course you could also use it for, for media testing or for example for any kind of package testing um, If you want to understand, um, is this designed intuitively?
1: Yeah, and clearly it needs the video on an individual, one individual, is that right?
0: Yeah, so you can, of course, also encode more than one face, but the the way we we integrate it, you can encode one face at a time so online, but then you could then import that video again and, and, and encode a second face. So you could also use it, for example, for presentations or, or cinema studies where you have multiple faces and then also encode each of those faces separately. So how would like.
1: that work? So if you were looking mm-hmm. doing a cinema study, multiple faces watching yeah. the watching movie?
0: Yeah. So you would just need one video feed capturing all those faces um, in, in, in the appropriate resolution. And then um, you would choose um, the face that you would like to, to um, analyze. You put an area of interest around that, and then you feed that into the algorithm. And then you do that for each face separately, basically. Right. Yeah.
1: Are we going down a direction of for things like a huge amount of data being created, video data, by Instagram and YouTube and Facebook? Mm-hmm. Are we getting to the point where in five, ten years' time we could analyze faces in individual videos?
0: We are already there. So the iPhone, um, um, yeah, Apple bought one of the best performing facial expression um, um, analytics, basically, a couple of years ago. And um, yeah, you can now unlock your phone with your face. um, And then I think in the future, you will be able to unlock your face with a certain facial expression. Um and the algorithm that they integrated is 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 um, yeah is state of the art. so um, I'm sure this will come more and more often. we will be able maybe to even you know unlock maybe you know your institute with a certain facial expression mm. or use it for other for other purposes. but of course, we're producing a lot of data. I mean, that's also the purpose of Facebook and Instagram to to produce that yeah. data. yeah could you free.
1: you talk about in-store eye tracking? could you have it so? at this time of the day, our customers were were happier than that time of the day?
0: For example, yeah, you could you could mount um, a camera, for example, close to the entrance um, and see, first of all, their emotion when they're entering a store, but also the emotion when they're um, exiting a store um, or for a certain product line or, uh, yeah, for a certain task. Yeah, you can see a ding,
1: um, happy, ding, yeah, not happy. Yeah, yeah hey. definitely.
0: Um, and... Of course, all those expressions always have to be interpreted in context, right? Uh, some people smile when they feel embarrassed, so we also have to take the, the situation um, into consideration. But we can definitely, yeah, we are able to, to much better understand how people feel by using facial expression yeah. analysis. So
1: that the idea of having getting structured data out of video feeds mm-hmm. is here now to a certain extent, and it will only get better... Is yeah, right? Yeah, yeah wow, definitely.
0: That's and also with, with the increasing amount of data, we will be able to create better algorithms because at the end of the day, you just need more data to make an algorithm or a classifier um, uh, performing better. So, yeah, the more data we have, the better the methodology becomes.
1: Yeah. And measuring arousal and metrics around that, can you explain yeah. up, upon that? You've had some discussion already around it, but a bit yeah. more about sort of the side, types of metrics that organisations might have against arousal yeah. and the likes.
0: Definitely. So we, the, the measure that we use the most is galvanic skin response or electrodermal activity, where you measure the skin, uh, the, the conductance between two electrodes that are mounted somewhere on your body. Um, it is a very old method, so it's it's nothing completely new, but it's it's, it's now utilised much much more than, than it used to be, for a good reason because it's a very stable measure. And what we can see in that signal is significant uh, points in time where people were aroused or stressed, of course, depends on the context again. Um, and you can utilize that, for example, if you wanna see how emotionally inducing is your content. For example, if you have, if you have a charity or um, if you have any other, uh, um, or storytelling, for example, as we heard um, in the lecture um, by Christy before, um, how good is that storytelling? Do you touch someone? Do they get like aroused? Um, do they get sad? Um, and in order to, to give also the facial expression um, readout a bit more depth, you can also combine that, right? You want to combine facial expression analysis, ideally with GSR, and maybe also eye tracking so that you can say, okay, when I was looking at this child in that commercial, this is how my emotions were. So, for example, sad, and then how aroused was I? did I just mimic what I saw on TV or did I actually feel sad? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is also what, what iMotions is trying to accomplish to combine all these data streams um, to give you a better insight on how humans behave. Yeah, yeah. it's
1: interesting. I was just thinking uh, from what, what you were saying, we um, we've got an interview, uh, or it would have been already launched by the time we uh, we launched this episode, but we interviewed Dr. Philip Alvelder, uh, from the US, so he's a, uh, I guess a, what do you call him? AI expert mm-hmm. talks about robotics, and one of his big areas is how do we make robots understand human emotions, so humans mm-hmm. can understand emotions and context. Mm-hmm. And could you get to the point, And it just it might be an opinion, or might be some some research that you've you've done or understanding of robots being able to read human emotions more effectively. Yeah. So yeah, in that yeah. in that context, a little bit deeper than than just happy sad
0: yeah i think it works both ways i we want to make robots more human-like so we want to train them with human data so we want to understand um yeah more complex emotions um, maybe how we can modulate not just maybe binary like as you said happy and sad but nuance to certain situations but on the other hand we also um yeah we want to use the data to make the robots more human-like, but also the robot has to, ex- you know, we have to think that we are working with the human. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the data that we produce is there to inform the robot, and and then on the other hand, we perceive the robot again as more as a human. Um, that and is that the, trust,
1: the, the trust that we as humans have for the robots yeah. needs to be there as well.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's similar, as, as, as Christy said, with the storytelling, um, only if you have an emotional correlation or if you have an emotional content, you will actually have this connection, right? And this is also why it's important. But uh, on top of that, it's also important that the robot can, um, um, yeah, um, adapt to to human behavior because you just don't want the robot to do something, but you want the robot to emotionally Um, react to you so if you're sad that for example you know they make you happy they bring you something that you like whereas when you when when you're happy to enforce that feeling by playing some music for example so they yeah not only do they have to build trust but they also have to intelligently respond to your emotional state
1: yeah that's that's, that's fascinating you must find yourself working with a cross-discipline Mm-hmm. quite a lot. So you obviously, you work with researchers, you're a mm-hmm. neuroscientist. What other disciplines do you work with to to move your approaches forward?
0: Mm. A lot of different industries. Um, yeah, as I said, academics and, and, and big enterprises, but of course also neuromarketing and market research um, it, it is a big topic. Um, and within those, it, it can be all kinds of different areas, starting from human computer interactions, we just talked about, up to product testing, up to VR, virtual environments, um, gaming, for example, um, the automotive industry, um, developing smart cars, um, but then also, of course, in the academic sector, psychology, sociology, behavioral economics, um, playing those, um, yeah, game th- testing game theories with human behavior, for example. Um, yeah, it, there, there are so many areas where you could apply that. I, I know, for example, if a PhD student she's looking into food rewards, for example, and see how if we can get a biometric signature for why do we eat certain things uh, at a certain time point and uh, at a certain um, time in the day.
1: Yeah. is is there a growing demand for? neuroscience in research and decision-making? Where, where, where do you see, see that the trend going? I think Ray Pointer, who you also interviewed, said, oh, it was a, it was a trendy thing a few years ago. It's not as trendy now. Uh, what, what's your counter mm-hmm. perspective on that?
0: I think it's true and not true at the same time, right? I think it's a, a couple of years ago, everything was neural, neuromarketing, marketing, neural pricing. <laughs> um, that, that was very trendy. And I think what people quickly realized it's that it's not a trivial topic. You actually have to be a scientist to actually understand what you're doing, and it's not just like looking at a couple of signals to to actually get some insight. And I think this is also what he means when he says it's leveling a little bit off. But nevertheless, I think um, it's a methodology that that won't disappear because we're reaching we're reaching, I think, a, a ceiling effect with what we can do with traditional methods, and I think people want to understand how we non-consciously respond to certain stimuli and how we um, behave. And and as you said, for example, for AI, that's one of the biggest topics to have this neuroscientific data. So um, I think we're just realizing now that this is not just like a trend, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a science um, that has to be taken seriously. Um, outside, of course, of of, of the academic world and that it's not just like a simple tool that has to be applied, but we have to apply it with with care and, um, yeah, we have to have the right methodologies in order to make the right conclusions.
1: So it's almost an... It sounds like it's an innovation uh, journey, really. It it starts off with a lot of hype and excitement around it. Mm. Cowboys come in or, or entrepreneurs come in trying to exploit that and then it settles down as... the the people who are maybe over-promising and Mm under-delivering get get pulled out and and experts such as yourself uh, and and your group uh, build up that trust about their offering. Is is that right? Yeah, Yeah, that's completely right. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. overwhelming. You must have, as a business and and personally, like a development projection of what you would like to do. Let's say we're going to Mm. five, ten years in the future. What would you like to imagine we're able to do, the technology catching up with the, the dream of what would be great to be able to do?
0: Mm. I think in general what a trend will be and what, what I would also like to see um, is um, those those devices and those measures that that we're utilising right now to be um, even more ambulatory. So having wor- more wearable devices, using that more in clinical research, um, for example, if we we think about monitoring people at home instead of having, for example, patients going into the hospital over and over again, um, having them monitored at home, for example, with physiological signals, and then only having to go to the hospital or to the practitioner when actually we can read out from the signal that something is not right. Um, And on the other hand, of course, also that means for the commercial sector that we will have much more options. We can even more explore how people... Behave in a more naturalistic setting, and how they behave also over, over longer periods. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Are we getting? Yeah. Okay. So, so getting to that point where potentially there's there's something in, in injected into somebody or or, or um, that, that allows you better to understand. What their emotions are, what their brain's doing.
0: I don't think that's that's gonna that's gonna happen no, okay. in the Why next not? ten it... years. I think there's some ethical considerations that has to be, that that um, yeah that come with that. I think devices are gonna get better, smaller, more wearable.
1: But they will be wearable um, rather yeah. than implanted. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. And then also, of course, um, applications like Facebook or Apple um, as a as a company or um, Instagram, they will start incorporating. Um, either sensors or measures um, like that, and I think we have to get used to the idea that this is just an advancement yeah. in, 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 in technology.
1: Yeah. Who who dri- I guess I'm interested in who drives the change and who maybe... You touched on unethical practices. Is, is there a government regulatory role of saying, well, we could do that, but we're not going to allow that?
0: Hmm. Um. I don't have enough knowledge how it works That's in Australia, okay, but fine. like in, in in Europe, of uh, we 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 have the, the European Union just passed a new data protection law that um, that basically protects respondents um, or or people, uh, yeah, when 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 data is collected from anyone, basically, um, and that basically protects your personal rights. Um, and I think that is quite, that, that, that is really important, you know. Um, and that will also regulate some ethical considerations, of course. Um, in general, you, you always have with, um, usually countries have an ethical committee that regulates, um, um, yeah, clinical standards, medical standards, but also research, research standards. So it's not that you can just invent something and then <laughs> apply it, but that has to be, that has to be actually, um, yeah, I go through a long process um, in order to be granted so it's not a trivial thing and, and methodologies usually that aren't um, invasive that's a, um, that's a little bit easier but everything that is invasive or intrusive in one way or another is regulated by the state usually Okay, that's great. Yeah.
1: So we started off as you as a child and where you came from and being a sporty child, uh, extroverted if we come sort of Finishing off at the, towards the end, of what would you be saying to young people today about what their priorities, sh- their, their focus should be moving forward? Um, uh, what, what they should be lo- looking at doing? And that could be that could be children. That could be young researchers. It could be young professionals. What what, what do you mm. think is important to have a, a successful life a successful career?
0: It's a, it's a very bit of a complex question. It is. Um, I think. I think people should explore a little bit more in order to understand what they're actually interested in. It took me quite some time to move into neuroscience. I wanted to be a medical doctor for a long time before I actually decided to become a neuroscientist. And that had to do with actually understanding what the profession um, incorporates. Um, So I think traveling, exploring, trying out different things before you decide what you want to do professionally, um, I think can be very valuable. Um, and always being open to change. You, you, nothing is <laughs> carved in stone. If you if you started a career and you don't like it anymore and you feel interested in something else, try it out. Um, you don't have to stick with what you're doing. You, you can change. Mm-hmm. And I think um, that also gives you a certain freedom of not feeling kind yeah. of like frustrated.
1: So it's up to that individual to ex- explore the world and explore different themes and not lock into a, a future career too Early.
0: Yeah, this is what I would, would suggest. Yeah, yeah I would good. recommend.
1: Thank yeah. you. How can people find you, and obviously your your, your business <laughs> as well, but yourself <laughs> on, on, on Twitter or yeah. are you a Twitter person or are you
0: are? I'm an everything person. I'm Twitter, Instagram, or what, Facebook. What's your
1: Twitter Twitter handle?
0: Um, Elfe to go. So it's E L V E underscore two underscore go. Um, or at iMotions, so I've just found Twitter, um, iMotions. Um, Or you can also email me at elvira.fisher at iMotions.com if you have any questions or if you're interested in a career in neuroscience or uh, biometrics. Um, And here at the conference, um, I think I'm the only person who wears (laughs) colour today.
1: (laughs) I saw you come on stage (laughs) and I thought, I'll be able to find her.
0: so, I'm, I'm wearing a red jumpsuit. I think that's the easiest way of to describe it. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm going to ask you one more question. Yes. I can see you've got a little tattoo on your arm. What, yes. Or arms. What, what, yeah. what do they symbolize? What, do, what yeah. are they?
0: So, I got this. Um, these are two hearts with flowers. Um, each heart is for one kid. So, I have two kids.
1: Yeah. How old are they?
0: Um, there are four and seven soon. And then I have here a tattoo that says, feelings come, feelings go. Just as a reminder, Nothing is forever. If you feel upset, it's probably going to be gone in a couple of hours. Don't get too worked up about it or if you're sad, same way. Um, Yeah, and then that's basically it.
1: That's good. Thank you so much. Thank you. All the best. Hey, Jason here. Just to say goodbye until next time. Please do not forget to subscribe to Real People via iTunes, or your favorite podcast platform. While you're there, please leave a review. If you're interested in receiving our every Friday same time emails, topics from market research to human-centered design, innovation, entrepreneurialism, a uh, whole lot of different topics by articles by me, Hole's team, special guests from Justin Wilden to Steve Sammartino, Lisa Domenico, Elaine Steed, uh, been quite popular very committed every week for the last 18 months or so please go to squareholes.com forward slash blog to read and to join the email list you can also follow me via jason dunstone on twitter or your favorite social media thank you for listening you